0: All right, well, the passage we're going to look at this morning contains two of the next two I am statements of Jesus. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. Really, this whole passage we're going to look at is a picture of Jesus as a shepherd. The shepherd motif is an important theme that runs throughout the Bible. In Genesis 4-2, it tells us that Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac and Jacob were shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. Moses tended the flocks in Midian of his father-in-law, Jethro. And of course, King David was a shepherd boy. The word picture of a shepherd is one of the most enduring and most significant word pictures throughout the Bible. Shepherding has gone on in the Middle East nearly the same for millennia. People knew and understand what a shepherd was was very common and is still practiced in Israel today, not much different than it was during the Bible times. One commentator wrote, The main part of Judea is a central plateau. It's very rocky and it wasn't good for crops, so it became the place where sheep would graze. From Bethel to Hebron is about 35 miles of plateau and it's about 15 to 17 miles wide. The ground is rough and stony. Grass is sparse, but there was enough there for the, the sheep would normally graze. The familiar figure of the, on the Judean hills of the shepherd was known by everyone. The life of a shepherd was hard. It was arduous. He was outside against the elements, the heat and the cold. There's little grass in the air, so sheep tend to wander. There's no protective walls out there on the plateau or on the hillside or wherever they were. The narrow plateau was bordered by precipices and crevices into which the sheep could fall. It was easy for sheep to get lost and easy for predators to assault them and kill them. The shepherd's task was relentless vigilance, constant attention, danger was all around, danger from animals, danger from thieves and robbers who came to steal the sheep for their wool and the meat. One historical writer says that at night you'd meet a shepherd as he's coming back to the fold, Sleepless, weather-beaten, leaning on his staff. Every day was long and hard. One of the very interesting differences between a Middle Eastern shepherd and, let's say, a more uh, Western-style rancher shepherd is the way in which they cared for the sheep. In the Middle East, the sheep are led by a shepherd. In the West, they are driven by a rancher. In the Middle East... The shepherd uses his staff to keep everyone moving together. In the West, a rancher will typically use a sheepdog to keep everyone in line. In the Middle East, the the sheep not only know the voice of their shepherd, but they were often individually named. They knew their specific name. They were more like a pet than just a herd. In the West, the sheep also know uh, their rancher's voices. But they're not typically individually named, and they're treated more like just a herd than a pet. With the Middle Eastern Shepherd, there's an intimacy, there's a closeness. On some level, you could even say there's a relationship with the sheep. The Shepherd knows which ones like to go fast, which ones like to go slow, which ones like to play, which ones are are more serious, which ones are always the first ones to fall asleep, and which ones are always the first ones to wake up. The biblical shepherd motif is not a rancher herding sheep, but it's a shepherd leading, providing, protecting, tending to the flock. This is the picture of the shepherd that, that God uses to describe himself, right? Perhaps the most famous chapter in the whole Bible, Psalm 23, starts off saying, The Lord is my shepherd. Right, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because my shepherd is with me, guiding me, directing me, protecting me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, this picture of a gentle yet strong shepherd is a picture of our God. He provides for our needs. He gives us rest. He leads us. He restores our soul. Even in the midst of the greatest turmoil of life, even in the midst of great loss, we have nothing to fear because our God, our shepherd is with us, comforting us. This is the ultimate picture, a beautiful picture of a biblical shepherd, of God our shepherd. Psalm 77.20 says, you you lead your people like a flock. Psalm 79.13 says, but we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Psalm 81 says, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Psalm 95, 6-7 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Psalm one hundred one through 3 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people. The people of his pasture. Hebrews thirteen twenty through 21 in benediction says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25 says, He Himself bore our sins on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. And of course, from the passage we're going to look at today in John chapter 10, verses 11 and 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, from God the Father to God the Son, our God is pictured as a shepherd, intimately leading, providing, protecting, saving his sheep. The Lord is our shepherd. How blessed are we to be his sheep. Today we're going to look at Jesus' statement, I am the door. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, starting at verse 1. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege it is this morning to be in your word and to be thinking about our Jesus as our good shepherd. The door of the sheepfold. Lord, Lord, Teach us today what that means, and then not only intellectually and to understand new things, but Lord, apply it to our hearts and our lives. Spirit, use your word to change us and to challenge us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this whole passage works together as one, but on this Sunday, I want us to look at the first part of the passage, verses 1 through 10. Where Jesus draws a word picture here of a of a shepherd, everyone listening to him understood completely uh, you know what the word picture was that he was drawing here. But for us it might be a little bit unknown. so I want to take a moment to describe it for us a little better that will help us to understand what Jesus is teaching here. So I want to project here a picture um, of a sheepfold and it's actually a uh, first-century sheepfold uh, that is there in Israel uh, that dates back all the way to New Testament times. And you see, this is a sheepfold that they built around a cave. And when they had opportunities to do that, they would want to do that because it provided natural uh, you know, shelter uh, for the sheep. Well, the next picture I want to show you was taken in 2013. And it shows that even in our day... Sheep are kept in much the exact same way. You see the wooden, um, I mean, the, the stony wall and all that, and the one entrance in. Um, it's still so much similar to what it was even 2,000 years ago. The sheepfold was an enclosure surrounded by a, a rock of walls that was too high for the sheep to jump over. The shepherds would often put thorny branches on top of the walls to deter thieves and predators from getting into the sheepfold. There was an opening in the wall that allowed the sheep to enter and exit. This is the door to the sheepfold. There was no physical door there that kept the sheep safe inside the sheepfold. The shepherd would become the door. At night, the shepherd would lay across the opening and the, the shepherd himself would become the door to the sheepfold. The next picture there is that one of the drawing there of a shepherd lying uh, as the door to the sheepfold. See, no animal or enemy could get in, and no sheep could get out without the shepherd knowing about it, without having to go through the shepherd. You know, typically on the outskirts of uh, many villages in New Testament times, there were community sheepfolds. Not everyone had their own sheepfold. And and with all the land for grazing being shared by all, all the sheep would come together into the community sheepfold. So each evening, all the local shepherds would bring their sheep to the community sheepfold. And in the morning, the shepherds would call out their sheep. And each shepherd's flock would follow the voice of their shepherd. Out of all the sheep in the sheepfold, they would leave and follow their shepherd and enter into the pasture. The sheep knew the voice of their shepherd. And followed. Now the flocks were not large, and the shepherd would usually name each one of his sheep. He knew them by name, and they knew him. There are really some great videos on YouTube that show how sheep respond to the voice of their shepherd. Well, as we have this picture in our minds of the of the shepherd actually being the door of the sheepfold. As we come to examine the truth where Jesus proclaimed himself, I am the door, the door of the sheepfold, the door for the sheep. Let's look at our passage here this morning. The first thing I want us to notice is that the door means protection. One of the main purposes of any door is protection. In verse 1, Jesus says that it is the shepherd of the sheep who uses the door. But it's the thief and robber who climbs in another way. Verse 10, he tells us the goal of the thief. The goal of the thief is to steal, to kill, to destroy. See, this was a real-life situation for the sheep and the shepherd. The thief at night would do his best to sneak in, to break into the sheepfold and try to steal a sheep. Obviously, if you're just trying to, to pick up an animal and carry it out, it would fight you. It'd make a lot of noise. All of which would alert the shepherd, and then the shepherd would come to the rescue. I read as I was studying this week that because that was true, the thief wouldn't try to kidnap the sheep. When they would actually go to get a sheep, they would kill the sheep and then steal the sheep. You see, this thief comes to kill and to destroy. It's interesting in our passage today that Jesus identifies who are the thieves and the robbers in verses 7 and 8. It says, So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. The thieves and robbers here are a picture of false teachers. The false teachers in Jesus' day, and even the false teachers in our day. The thieves and robbers are a picture of false religions, of of false doctrine. They're trying to get the sheep to follow them. They're trying to allure the sheep away. From the shepherd. They'll stop at nothing to get the sheep. Their goal the goal is in total opposition to the truth of God and his word. Their goal is to lead the sheep to their death, to their spiritual doom. There's a battle going on for sheep. Jesus called out to those who would you know claim to be spiritual leaders. He called them out. He called them as False teachers having false ambitions and selfish desires and evil intentions. False religion is self-centered. False teachers are strangers who are trying to lead the sheep away from God. They have no real heart of compassion because they have no focus on what is really true. They have no focus on what is really important. They have no focus on true spiritual reality. So no matter how great their words might be, no matter how wonderful they can make it all sound, Their lies lead to spiritual death and separation from God. The Apostle Paul, in his very last visit to the leaders of the church in Ephesus, as recorded for us in Acts chapter 20, said these powerful words to those church leaders. said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own cells will arrive men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Folks, the march of the enemy is growing stronger and stronger. It is evident that for all of us to see that fierce wolves are teaching twisted things. And they're working overtime in our culture to draw us away to themselves, as many as they can. The battle is real against the great thief of our souls. As Paul challenged those church leaders to be alert, so today he challenges us, be alert. He challenges our church leaders, be alert. He challenges us as fathers, as mothers, as parents, Be alert. We have to stay vigilant to the truth. We must stay vigilant that spiritual realities trump earthly realities. We must stay vigilant to the truth that spiritual treasure trumps material wealth. We must stay vigilant to the truth that eternal truth trumps temporary happiness. The most important thing in life is not your bank account. Your car, your house, or your education. The most important thing in life is to know God, to be known by God, to love God, to be loved by God, to follow Him. We must stay vigilant on the truth. How often are we listening to the stranger voices of our world calling out to the sheep? Your retirement is the most important, your job is the most important. Your new car, your remodeled house, your savings account, your education. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Nothing at all. All those things are very important. But what makes them wrong is when they become a sinful focus in our life, is when they take a higher priority in our lives than they ought to be. What did Jesus say in that Sermon on the Mount? Seek ye first. First, as highest priority, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things come issue you after that. It's an issue of priority. It's an issue of focus. You see, Jesus uses two different words here to describe attackers against the sheep. He uses thief and robber. Now, a robber uh, in the original, connotes violence and plundering. It's obvious. He's an attacker. Many false teachers are very obvious. Their error can be clearly seen and refuted. But the thief implies subtlety and trickery. Their goal is to get you looking over here. Hey, everybody, look over here, look over here, look over here. while they're stealing you blind and making you vulnerable over here. That's what thieves do. Not only do we need to be alert for the blatant focus of false teaching that purports itself to be the truth, we need to be alert on the subtlety and the trickery that wants to take us down by getting us distracted, by getting us focused on things that are important, valuable, but aren't the most important, aren't the most valuable. The door Jesus Christ is the protection for the sheep. If he is your shepherd and you are following him, if he is your Lord and you are obeying him, he will protect you from the obvious robbers and from the subtle thieves. Only following our good shepherd, only listening to his voice, gives us the protection we need, the security we need, the vigilance in the truth. Are you listening to strangers' voices? I mean, think about it. Has the voices of our culture, of false teachings, of misplaced priorities, allured your heart? Out of all the voices calling out to us, can you pick out the voice of your shepherd? Is that the one you're listening to? Is that the voice you're following? Another aspect of what it means for Jesus to be the door means compassion. If you look at verses 2 through 4, it says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he's brought them out, all his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him. They know his voice. Compassionate words. Intimate words, relationship words, caring and kind words. The picture here is of the shepherd doing the morning roundup of the sheep to leave the community sheepfold. The shepherd enters by the door. He's the one with authority. The shepherd is the leader. He's the one the sheep follow. The sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name and he leads them out. You know, There's an intimacy in knowing someone by name. Researchers from the babywebsite.com read through thousands of online records in Britain and in the U.S. to determine some of the most unfortunate names. The article said, "Would you call someone with the most, uh, some of the most unlikely people in Britain, you call them Justin Case or Barb Dwyer or Stand Still. It sounds like a bad joke, but the study revealed that there are really unfortunate people with those names in the UK. Joining them on the list are Terry Bull, Paige Turner, and Merry Christmas. And Just imagine introducing yourself to someone as Doug Hole or Hazel Nutt. Retired airman, Stan Still, 76, of Gloucester said... His name has been a blooming millstone around my neck my entire life. When I was in the RAF, my commanding officer would shout, Stand still! Get a move on! And roll in laughter. So they got hugely boring after a while. But 51-year-old Rose Bush from Coventry said she loves her name. I always get comments about it, but they're always very positive, she said. Researchers also scoured phone records in the U.S. and found some unlikely names here too, like Joe King, and Barry Cade, and Tim Burr, and Bill Board. They found a doctor with the last name Doctor. Who's your doctor? I go to Dr. Doctor. (laughs) Uh, They found a dentist here in the States whose name was Les Plaque. That's good. Now, when Julie and I were picking out names for our third child, our Ellen, we were talking around the dinner table. Emily was six. James was nine. if it was a a girl, we said, we're going to call her Ellen Marie Etheridge. But if it's a boy, we're going to call him Andrew Philip Etheridge. And little James, as quick as a snap, he said, well, that's neat. His initials will spell ape. See, we all have a name, and it's a personal name. It's it's just, it's special. Have you ever thought the thought that Jesus knows your name? Think about that for a minute. We'd say, "Oh, okay. Well, of course." He's God, He knows my name, He knows everything, He knows everybody's name. That's not what this is talking about at all. That's not the truth that this passage is trying to teach us. It's not talking about God's omniscience. The picture is a shepherd calling his sheep by their individual name. It's a picture of relationship. It's a picture of friendship. It's a picture of the intimacy of family. Think about it. Jesus knows your name in relationship. Jesus knows your name as friendship, as family. He knows you. He knows all about you. He knows what you like, what you don't like. He knows your tendencies. He knows your quirks. He knows your personality. He knows you. He loves you. He calls you by name. Brian, Bob, Courtney, Christina, fill in the blank. He calls you by name. He knows your name. He's close to you. He's your friend. He loves you. Jesus said in John ten twenty seven, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. I know them. They follow me. There'll be no sweeter thing that we can ever hear than Jesus' voice calling us by name. Does Jesus know your name? Does he know it in relationship? Are you one of his sheep who long to hear his voice? The next truth of Jesus is that the door means peace. If you look again at verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that I might have life and have it abundantly. What does Jesus, the door of the sheepfold, give to his sheep? He gives them pasture, he gives them abundant life. Remember Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures for the things in life that are most truly important, the spiritual needs of our lives. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, leaves us wanting nothing. He supplies it all. I shall not want. He leads us into green, luscious, Bountiful pastures. He leads us beside still, refreshing, soul-quenching water. Now, folks, think about this. This is not some shallow teaching that somehow God makes your life easy with material things. Even in Psalm 23, it talks about the valley of the shadow of death. It talks about having to deal with difficulty and turmoil and loss. It talks about fear. It talks about dealing with enemies. The life of a follower of God is not about getting a life of ease. It's not. Most often in our lives includes significant life challenges. That's the obvious teaching from the Bible. From cover to cover. So often our... Thoughts of the bounty of the green pastures and the satisfaction of still waters so quickly turned to material, temporary, earthly delights. That wasn't so. Not up to like the 17th, 18th, 19th century. No one ever thought that. When they read Jesus' promises of abundant life, they didn't go to material things. See, the only reason we tend to think of God's promises as being fulfilled in materialistic possessions rather than in the spiritual bounty of the riches of Jesus Christ is because we are materialistic. It's because we live in a materialistic, consumer-focused, comfort-driven, selfish, thing-oriented world. We have this tendency to take the great promises of God and reduce them. To give me more things, God. Think about it. What more could God give you? Think about it. If If you're a child of God, what more could Jesus do for you? Life, eternal life, forgiveness, peace with God, the peace of God, ruling our hearts and lives, purpose, meaning, goals, priorities, salvation, hope. Love, joy. Even God himself gave himself to us. The Holy Spirit within us. And we could go on and on and on. All that he has given to us. You see, Jesus is the door. And he leads us in and out to find pasture. And what luscious, abundant pasture it is. As I challenge you with these words, I challenge these words to myself. Don't let the material cares and wants of our lives distract us. Don't let them become a higher priority than they're supposed to be. And then we miss out on the truth of the bounty of the riches of Jesus Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He supplies it all. Makes you think of that chorus, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Perhaps it's time for us to stop asking God for more things. And to start living life to the full with all the truly important things that he's already given to us. Alright folks, that's the best sentence of the sermon right there and I'm going to say it again, perhaps it is time for us to stop asking God for more things and to start living life to the full with all the important, with all the incredible, valuable things that He has already given to us. Well, lastly, we see that Jesus is the door of salvation. In verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. You see, when the, the sheep entered by the door of the shepherd, they were saved from death. They were saved from the thief and the robber. They were saved from their own bad decisions. When we enter by the door of the good shepherd, we are saved from spiritual death. We are saved from false teaching. We are saved from the spiritual choices and consequences of our lives. So here's the interesting thing about doors, right? Doors require decisions. Doors require decisions. Are you going to open it and go through? And get to the other side? Or are you going to stay outside the door? See, Jesus doesn't say, I'm a door. That leads to salvation, right? He didn't say that. Jesus said, I am the door, the door that leads to salvation. All other doors open, but they don't open on the pathway to heaven. There is only one door, only one door that opens the pathway to heaven, and that door is Jesus. There's a little Christian kid song It's called One Door and Only One. And it goes like this. One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. Inside and outside, on which side are you? One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. I'm on the inside. On which side are you? It's a simple song. But it's a powerful question.
1: Verse 10, Jesus says...
0: I've come to give life to the sheep. In verses 27 and 28, he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Jesus is the only door for the salvation of our souls. Jesus is the only door that leads to eternal life. Doors require decisions. Only one door. Yet its sides are two Inside and outside, which side are you? Today, right now,
1: answer that
0: powerful, simple question. On which side are you? Have you gone through the door of Jesus Christ to the only pathway of salvation? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this amazing word picture of our Jesus as our shepherd. We thank you for the truth that it teaches us, and we pray right now you would continue teaching us. Through your Spirit, you would drive home the truth that you want us to follow. Through your Spirit, you would be convicting us and challenging us and and changing our thoughts and our attitudes. And Lord, we cry out to you in prayer. We would leave this room more committed to hearing the voice and following only the voice of our shepherd. Lord, if there's any here today that have never walked through that door and have never made that decision to take the door right now, if you're that person and you know you've never done that, you can right now pray to Him and exchange your life of sin for His salvation. Exchange our sin. For his joy and hope. Today do that. In Jesus name. Amen.